Well, good morning, church. So we're going to be in John chapter 11 today, if you want to turn there. We're going to jump around a little bit, but most of all of our conversation is going to be there in John chapter 11. We're going to look at the whole chapter. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, that would be great. You know, um, we're in the middle of a um, year uh, series, and the year series is Recovering His Mission. Um, And we have these mini-series within the series uh, in order for us to progress to that Recovering His Mission. Uh, Eventually, hopefully, we'll be all the way over here where we are reaping, um, you know, after we have recovered. The whole idea is is that uh, 2020 has been tough on everybody, but I think it's been tough on the church, too, in a lot of ways. And and it's just important for us as a church to not lose focus on what God wants us to stay focused on. You know, he has a mission for us as his followers to be about, um, and that is to carry out his mission that, that he's always had in, in this world. And um, so for us to just make sure that we um, keep that intact. And so we called it Recovering His Mission because last year, remember, we had... A thing, his vision, uh, I mean, his mission, our vision. Um, and it was just, you know, we got super interrupted in that whole thing. Um, so this is our way of making sure we didn't lose sight of what, you know, his mission is and what our vision should be. Um, and uh, so we are embarking on this. So we're right now we are, this little icon up here is is this to represent recovery. Uh, we talked about that, you know, just that when you have such a storm that has come upon the church as we have had in 2020, uh, it's, it's, it's time to just pick up what's, you know, the debris and what's left and, and try to reestablish ourselves once again. And so that's kind of what we are in the midst of right now. Um, you know, something that's really important, I think, for us to have a conversation about is just that in God is always at work. He is always in the midst of us, and he's always trying to um, get us to understand, you know, what he's up to. And that's always been kind of hard, you know, for him, uh, especially Jesus. You know, when Jesus was walking, he was even his closest people, which is his disciples, they were always misunderstanding what was going on. And in fact, a lot of the light bulbs didn't come on, right, until after his resurrection. And then they're like, oh, that's what you meant by that. Oh, that's what we, you know, and stuff. But, and I think that that kind of thing still goes on today. Uh, even though we know, I mean, we have his word and we have all of these uh, amazing stories um, and people that have already walked through so many things, I think we're still trying to understand how God is working in our lives. And in particular, how he's working in our world right now, how he's working in our churches right now. And so that's why we are going to go to this passage of Scripture, uh, John chapter 11. Just trying to get God's perspective, you know, recovering an understanding. So John chapter 11, starting with verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his, his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, 
whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I just find that interesting. We're just going to pause for a moment, but I find that really interesting and, and something for us to note here that, that Jesus isn't among them. Uh, Lazarus got ill, you know, her brother, but the message that she sent to Jesus was, um, the one you love is ill. I mean, Jesus was supposed to figure that out. And you know what? It wasn't a big deal for Jesus to figure it out. I mean, not only because he knows everything, right? But also, I think he was so closely connected with these two ladies and Lazarus that, uh, um, he knew exactly whom that message was about. And I just want to point that out because Jesus was close to these people here. Uh, he had a long relationship with them. Um, and so here we go in verse 4. It says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, The illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed for two days longer in the place where he was. Now, I don't know about you, but all the way through this scripture that we're going to be reading through, there is just things that they would have had to just been like, we did not understand this. I mean, they're writing it now, right? But, and now they understand. But when it was going on, they didn't have a clue, you know, what Jesus was talking about. Like, he was just talking way above their uh, comprehension. But this would have been definitely one of those, right? I mean, Jesus makes this comment that his illness won't lead to death, right? Uh, And then this craziness that he loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus so much that he did what? That he just stayed away. Does that make sense to you? I love them so much, I'm not even going to help them. I love them so much, I'm not even going to go check on them or you know, see what I can do. Verse 7, it says, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? You see the confusion? It just continues to go, right? They, they just are so confused by everything that Jesus is doing and saying. And Jesus answered them, Are there... Now 12 hours in a day, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Well, you know, that cleared up everything, right? Now they know. Oh, yeah, that's why we're going to go and get killed and beaten and stoned. Um, But Jesus was just, he's telling and teaching them, but they are just not getting clued in at all about this. In fact, I, you know, even I struggle sometimes with understanding what Jesus is trying to teach. Verse 11, it says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go and wake, uh, waken him. And the disciples said to them, well, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. I don't know if that was their way of just attempting, hey, let's don't go. It's dangerous what you're asking us to do. Or if they were really thinking, if he's asleep, then why? I mean, he'll just wake up on his own. Why do you need to go wake him up? Verse 13, it says, now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. 
Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. But that's a little confusing, isn't it? Because Jesus just already told them, this is not going to end in death. And now he's telling them, this ended in death. (laughs) I mean, that's what it appears to. Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. So that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I mean, Thomas really thought that where Jesus was leading, you know, going back, it was going to not end well at all. I mean, we, are, we are might, might as well be walking our death, you know, road here. This is, we're, we're going to get the same end result as Lazarus's right to now. And it's just not going to end well. You, you may not understand everything about Christianity, but there's a basic concept that I think we ought to have a conversation about here for a moment before we move on. And that is just this. If you decide to follow Jesus, you should have this understanding and feeling about following Jesus as the disciples are feeling right now. I mean, Thomas is not like super excited about going to Judea, right? He thinks it's going to end poorly. It's going to end in his death, you know. So let us just follow Jesus and go to our death. Uh, But he was willing to do so, you know. But that's really literally how he felt, is that he was going to die if he followed Jesus back to Judea. And I think that that's just a basic understanding that and, and awareness that when we follow Jesus, even today, he wants us to understand that. He wants us to feel that. That's why he says things like what? He says, uh, um, deny yourself daily, take up your cross, and what? And follow me. Uh, just think about that. We, we have that memorized, but do we really understand what he's asking us to do? Deny self, don't think of yourself, take up your cross. What does that mean, take up your cross? When Jesus took up his cross, what did that mean? means he was self-sacrificing, literally self-sacrificing. But literally, he's wanting us to understand that when we follow him, that we are choosing to lay down our lives. And, when, and how often do we do that? Daily? Why? Because we follow him daily, don't we? We don't just follow him on Sunday, do we? Are we Sunday followers? No. We follow him Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so it means every day I wake up, I have to deny myself and understand that just like these disciples made a decision to follow him and realize that it was a self-death type of following, he wants us to understand that. That's why there's other verses that are so, I mean, there's so many, but like John 12, verse 25, what does it say? Jesus says, if you keep your life, you will lose it, but if you lose your life for me, you will find it. And this whole concept is what Jesus was trying to get across is, is if, if you choose not to follow me, you're going to end up losing life. But if you choose to follow me, it's going to feel like that you're giving up life, right? But then you'll find it. Isn't that the journey that Jesus, I mean, we already know how this ends, right? But isn't that the journey that Jesus has taken them on? They thought that they were going to lose their life by following back to Judea. But what they found when they got to Judea is that this man is the one who has life. Like he, he 
possesses the ability to just give life. And that's the same thing that we find as well. Here's another one in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If we decide to follow Jesus, this is the kind of expectation that he has. of He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? It's a, it's a walking dead man, right? And that what that is? It, it's somebody that's not living for themselves. It's, it's sacrificing on a daily basis for somebody and something, some other cause. And, of course, for us, it's, it's for Jesus and for his cause. And so holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul had this, Paul had this down. I mean, he understood this. So well. That's why he writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. These, these should be like echoing of our souls, our spirits, ourselves. But this is what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no long, longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. What insight that Paul had, right? He truly believed that he wasn't living for himself, that he died, you know. Way back on that road to Damascus, he died. And now he lives every day for the glory of God. And and I just, I think that that's such an important understanding that what the disciples were feeling that day, it would have been pretty scary when Jesus started talking about going back to Judea where they were wanting to stone him and they really thought that if we go back we're going to die but it is in the midst of that that they actually find life and it's the same way with us we have to understand that what he's called us to do is to die to self and to live for him verse 17 let's go on to this through this it says Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And the whole point of that is is that Jesus wasn't that far away. He intentionally stayed away, right? And Mary and Martha would have known that, wouldn't they? Why didn't he come running? Have you ever been confused by what Jesus does or doesn't do in your life? You see, I think it's, it's, it's so important for us to, this part of this recovery process is, is to, to not have questions and not to have questions that aren't answered, but for us to continue to seek answers and understanding. One thing that I know is the more that I know the less I feel that I know. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm constantly realizing I I know so little about how life works and about how Jesus works in life. Um, But the more I know, the more trust I have in him to not have to have everything figured out. But I want to continue to seek answers and understanding. Verse 19, it says, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary remained seated in the house. You know, I think there's something significant about that, and I don't know. You know, I'm not trying to read into it, but Mary, remember, was the one that was just pouring out her soul on Jesus, wiping her, you know, anointing him and wiping his feet with her hair and her tears. And she's the one that remains back when Jesus, when they announce that Jesus is there. I don't know, maybe it was just harder for her to recover emotionally because of what, you know, why Jesus lingered, why he didn't come running to them. I'm not sure. But Martha said to Jesus when she goes running out to meet him, Lord, if you had been there, I mean, she has some questions, doesn't she? If you had been there, my brother would not have died. How does she know that? How does she know that if he would have been there that her brother wouldn't have died? Because she witnessed how many times him healing people, healing the blind and the sick. You know, she knew how much power was within Jesus and how he had this ability. And she just was confident that if he would have been there, none of this would have taken place. Verse 22, it says, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And there's definitely something within that God wants us to understand outside of just bringing somebody back from physically, bringing somebody back from life. Although that is, that is totally mind-blowing, okay? Even today when we know all of this has transpired uh, before, that this has happened, you know, Jesus, we're reading about it right now, it's still hard for us to wrap our minds around that God has the ability to do this. Even though we know that he created us and that everything that we see and understand he created and how marvelous and miraculous that whole concept is, is just mind-blowing. But it's still hard for us to understand that he can take somebody that has literally died and left their body and for him to bring them back. And so Martha was trying to, you know, reason through this. I know that in the last days, when we die and we go to heaven, you're going to resurrect us and we'll be in heaven. But it was still hard for her to comprehend that he was talking about life. And I think that Jesus was not only just talking about that physical death and and resurrection that he's going to do with Lazarus, but also what I just was talking to you about. That when we literally die to self, that he gives us a new life. You know, the old is gone, the new has come. Like we are a new creation when we are in Christ. That we were literally already um, changed in, in, a, in an amazing way from death to life just when we were baptized into Christ. And 
in verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall not die. And he asked this question, do you believe this? Because that's like essential, isn't it? To have faith and that, that he can do that. In verse 26 or 7, it says, And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When, when the Jews who were with him in the house, consult, consulting her, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come out were out with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he says, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? There's just so, so many unanswered questions. So much that they just was not, not comprehending, you know, not understanding. Jesus was up to something greater than their minds were comprehending at the time, right? We know that. But they didn't. They, they just were having such a tough time all the way through this. The disciples were having such a tough time understanding what Jesus is up to. The, Mary and Martha were having such a hard time understanding what he was up to. Don't you know Lazarus laying there knowing that, that Jesus was sent word had such a hard time exiting this world not understanding why Jesus hadn't come. Even the Jews that were standing around were just not understanding and having such a hard time with this. Verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he, who has, been, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Remember, back to the question, do you believe? Well, sure, I believe. Again, it's just a a comment. You know, they're just over and over and over about so much misunderstanding, not understanding, Going on, verse 41, it says, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
Well, I sure didn't do that justice, right? Can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, just if we could put ourselves in that place, the goosebumps that we would have. Just hearing Jesus' voice echo, even before anything happened. And the expectation and anticipation. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. You know, there's just, there's just something that's really important. And I don't know that I can really draw it out completely about this passage and about where God has got us moving. By the way, did you know that Easter is only five weeks away? Palm Sunday, four weeks. But I don't know if I can really draw out what's going on here. But, but love does not always do what we want or expect. The love of God. And, and I just know that we have felt what they felt. You know, knowing that God is moving... But just not understanding why he's moving the way that he's moving. You know, why is he doing what he is doing? Why doesn't he just answer my prayer the way that I'm asking him to answer it? Why, does, why is it that he's taken me down this path? You know, why am I going back to Judea? I don't want to go back there. You know, why didn't he show up when... When we sent word, he, he, we know that he was here. We, we know that he's, his presence is like real close. Why would he delay? He has all this power. Why wouldn't he use it for me? He used it for, for the blind man. Why wouldn't he use it for me? What is it that I'm lacking? I mean, don't you know that, that we have been where they have been and just not fully understood the work of God in our lives. But it's so important that we continue to try to understand. Because I guarantee he's up to something greater and grander than what you think he's up to. Something bigger. Why is it that he said, I am so, to the disciples, I am so glad that I didn't Lazarus died, but I'm so glad that I didn't go, that I let that happen. Why did he say that? So that you may believe. And see, I, that's, that's always going to be the end result of everything that God is doing within our lives. Is, is that he has an agenda, like he's have, he has something going on. He's, he's trying to accomplish something in our lives. And we may not understand why we are having to walk through or do, or you know, why the silence, why this or that. But, but for us just to, to, to trust and know that there has to be answers, there has to be reasons for that. We would expect the opposite. And you know, that, that it would say there that, you know, Jesus loved them, therefore he just ran to them, right? That wouldn't make so much sense to us. 
But it, it just seems so strange that he loved them, therefore he waited and remained. Jesus loved these people. He wept. And it's the only time that in Scripture that we see that. that he, I mean, we see that he had compassion and, and such, but that, that he was so moved with emotion here. God, in his infinite wisdom, sometimes delays to act. And, and, and there's a reason. Always there's a reason. He refuses to act sometimes. And there's a reason. And, and, it's, and, it's, a, and it's a grand reason. I mean, it's like a, a, if we understood, it would be like, wow, that is so awesome. That is, like, that is way better than what I was thinking. Right? For most of us, though, there is nothing more important than life. Like, so when we have problems here, that's like immediate attention. Let's get this taken care of. But for God, He just sees things different, right? He even sees death differently than we. We we see death as so final. Like, that's it. And he just sees it as transition. He even sees it as a good transition. But it's just hard sometimes to figure it out. You know, Abraham, we've been studying Abraham in our men's group uh, for a couple weeks now. And, and Abraham was given this promise that he's going to have an offspring that is, I mean, God... God takes him outside. This is what we were talking about uh, last Wednesday. But God took him outside, had him look up into the sky and see all of the stars. And he says, count them if you can count them. But let me tell you, that's, the, that's how many offspring you're going to have. And not only could he not count them, he couldn't even see them. That's one of the things that we know now, right? I mean, we're not, we're not, our eyes can't even pick up a portion of how many stars are there. But now we even know that even if we could see all the stars that could be seen there, we're not even seeing the other galaxies and the stars beyond. And it's, What was God saying, literally? Was he just saying just the ones that you can see? I don't think so. I think it was even grander than what even what could, Abraham could comprehend. I mean, Abraham was like, wow, that's a lot. But what Abraham should have been thinking is, that is a crazy Amounts, right? Because it's even more than what he knew and understood. But you just have a hard, it's hard to figure God out because here God does that. He takes Abraham out. Look at the stars. Those are going to be your offspring. Abraham's an old man. And God gives him this promise when he's 75, but then there's like 25 years of just nothing. Don't you know Abraham? That would be such a struggle, would it not for, for us? I, I, don't, I don't know. what I, I would have just quit believing. I would have just said that was nonsense that God was saying. Now I'm 90-some years old, and I still don't have a child, right? But God gave him a child. But then what did he do? 
He says this one child, it's not, it's not many like the stars of the sky, this one child, now I want you to go kill him. You think Abraham was a little confused? His faith was amazing, though. I mean, he was just going to do it, and his reasoning was, and his reasoning was, was not necessarily accurate, but he just reasoned that God could raise the dead. And, of course, God can, but that's not how God was going to finish that story. He just stopped him before he actually killed him. But the point is, is that Abraham understood what these people were going through, or maybe these people understood what Abraham went through. Does the story of Job ever confuse you? I mean, God not only just gives permission to Satan to really harass and come down hard on this man that that God was just bragging on and saying, have you noticed my servant Job? He's such an upright, good man. But God lets Satan take away all of his possessions, uh, take away his health, and take away all of his children. There were seven boys and three daughters, right? All died. I mean, all this happened within just a short period of time. Completely devastated Job. At the end of Job, what does God do? Okay, enough of this. I'm going to, in fact, the title there of the last chapter, it says, God restores Job. I'm going to restore Job. He used to have, you know, 8,000 camels. This isn't accurate. I can't remember exactly the numbers, right? But I'm going to give him 16,000. He doubles it. Whatever his possessions were, which was a lot, he gave him back twice what he had. His health, it tells us there, that he lived to be a really old guy, got to see many generations of his grandkids. You know why? Because God not only restored his wealth, not only restored his health, but he also restored his children. He gave him seven more boys and three more girls, says that the girls were the most beautiful girls in all of the land. But does that confuse you a little bit? I mean, it makes sense that God can restore possessions. It makes sense to me that God can restore health and replace all of that stuff. But can you really replace children? If God took your children away today, but then he made good on it because he's going to give you some more children, would you feel like, okay, God, that's awesome. No, it wouldn't be awesome. And don't you know that Job would have probably struggled with that a little bit? Unless somehow Job could see the way that God sees death. Because if God, if Job could see the way God sees it, what would, how, would God, how would Job see it? That once I leave here, I'm going to a place that eventually I'm going to have 14 sons and six daughters. You see, God God was up to something, but it was completely hard. 
probably extremely difficult, if not impossible, for Job to wrap his mind on, as long as he is focused here in this world, and he can't see out beyond it. You know, the, the disciples, they already believed that he could do just about anything. He could heal he, you know, he could, he could give sight to the blind, all these people that are in our story. They understood that. But what they still did not understand is that he had the power to give life, eternal life, to resurrected life. At the Passover the disciples will have seen that, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? That he just, a dead person that's been in the tomb for four days, he literally brought him back to life, and they took those, they, they would have known that. And yet they still could not comprehend him coming back to life, you know, like him raising himself back to life. And they still were having a tough time with this eternal life stuff a little bit. But that's what Jesus was up to, is trying to deepen their faith, trying to help them understand. Trying to... You know, I just can't help but think that there's a whole lot of things that have gone on last year and that we brought into this year but that God is in the midst of it. Like he's really trying to help us, trying to teach us. And there's so much we don't understand, you know, but there's so much that, that he wants us to understand. God wants us to have understanding. You know, um, the other day, I decided that I was going to uh, be part of the pastoral care at the hospital. They had contacted uh, preachers in our area because they wanted to get the preachers back into the hospitals because they are seeing that the hospital super, they need, you know, the spiritual uh, presence that the ministers can bring uh, because there's so much isolation. You guys know all about this. And but they know they all they also realize that it's not just the patients who need it, you know, and that they need to get uh, ministers back in there. But it's also the staff. The staff are just really struggling. I was telling my Sunday school class as I as we were talking about this, and and Lisa uh, King, who is um, uh, behind, you know, organizing the pastoral care there, was sharing all this need uh, that was there. Um, uh, Sarah Hoy came in, and you guys all know Sarah, and she's all jolly, and just she was gonna because she's the director of nursing there, and so she was just gonna welcome us back, and how excited she was, and then she just got real serious for a minute. She said, "I I, I have a I need you to pray for me, and I, I have a prayer request," and then she just broke down in tears, and, and it just was so she didn't know what we had just got through talking about, right? About how this has just become such a burden. Um, and uh, it was just like an illustration being played out right there. Uh, and that was kind of moving. 
But in order for us to do that, we have to be vaccinated. So I actually can't, until I'm vaccinated, I can't actually go and be part of the, the pastoral care. You know, I can go and, you know, as a, a minister, but not as a, a volunteer representative at the hospital stuff. And I was happy to do that. To be honest with you, I didn't know what I was going to do on that because I thought, I don't even, it's not even my time. I don't have to make that decision right now. Uh, but it was made for me in, in this capacity and, and glad to do it. But the reason I tell you that is because it has been so hard for us ministers, and I know it's been hard for you guys uh, when you have somebody in the hospital to even know what you get to do. You know, what are they going to let you do? Um, and Lisa was just talking about this as well as one of the other ladies, I can't remember her name, was just that, you know, this is, they call it practicing medicine because that's what we really feel like we're doing right now. We're just practicing trying to figure this out. Nobody even knows, you know, if the vaccines, how long they'll even stay in our bodies. Will they only protect us for a month or they protect us for two or three or a year or what? You know, nobody knows uh, because we're just trying to figure this out. But anyway, all that said, um, so we're in the midst of all of this conversation. I'm wanting to do this, been wanting to do this for a long time because a lot of you guys have been in the hospital and I haven't even been able to go see. You know, don't even, and when I call, like I was talking to Jerry um, just last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, trying to figure out when I could get in to see her at the nursing home. And, and that was quite an ordeal just trying to figure that out. Um, and so I get done with that meeting and I was talking to one of the other ministers, Daniel Knight, and we were visiting for a while. And then I got to my truck and as I'm pulling out of my truck, I got a text that just came up and it was Angelina saying, mom, I don't think is doing well and may not make it. And so I texted back and said, what room are you in? I just got my badge. It says, uh, you know, uh, pastoral care badge, and I can get into just about anywhere now at the hospital. And, uh, And it was just kind of ironic because, to me, the timing, and that's all I'm trying to say, because I just believe God is at work in everything. I mean, I truly believe that. And it was just overwhelming to me because I've been having a hard time trying to get into the hospital. And I come out of that meeting, have a badge, this happens, and instantly I can just go right up to that room. Of course, I didn't ask permission. Is it okay because I'm not vaccinated yet? But, but it was okay. But, but anyway, uh, and I got to visit with our dear friend, uh, Jerry. And that was, it's hard not to get emotional, but that was, I, the whole time I was there, I was just like, God did this. You know, I mean, God made this possible. And, and she was this, she, she was, I know, glad to have a conversation that was a one-way conversation because she couldn't talk. And, uh, and I prayed with her, and then I read scripture. And it was like an Angelina, and it was, it was just her and I at, after that, it was, it was her and her husband and, and her daughter Leah there, but then after that, they had to go downstairs because his mom came, and, and so it was Angelina and I, and, and uh, Jerry passed just like within 
10, 15 minutes after I read that scripture to her. It's almost like she just, uh, that's all she needed, right? And, uh, and I remember when Angelina and I were sitting there, standing there, I was just thinking, will I be able to see the moment that she goes to glory? Will I be able to see that? And that's what I was really focused on. I wanted to see it. And I don't know when it happened, actually. But um, I know when her heart quit. But um, there's, so, there's so much that is so grand that we have in Jesus. And, and God is so awesome. And he's so involved in our lives and there's so much that we're going to walk through this life and we're just not going to understand. Like, why doesn't he move when we want him to move? Why does he act this way when I want him to act this way? But just knowing that he is completely on our side and completely has grander things in mind than what we can even comprehend. And we just have to be like Abraham and just, even though we don't understand why he's asking us to do this or why he's doing this, we just trust. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, I don't know if he's going to save me if he throw me in this fire, but so be it. I'm just going to trust him anyway. Uh, and Job, the faith of Job was just amazing. And I don't, I don't think he even left this world understanding everything. But yet he continued to trust. And that's our job, is to continue to trust in the midst of all of this. I'm going to pray, and then Greg's going to come and share our communion meditation. Father God, we thank you so much for understanding. And even though that we can't completely understand you or completely understand what you're up to, we can at least understand enough that you have called us to follow you. And even though it feels like that we are dying that you're leading us into like some type of dying or death, that we know at the end of this that you will present to us life. And so, Father, just help us to cling to what we know, to give us strength for the things that we don't understand. Just restore understanding to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.